Thank you. Sign up in the lobby. And then Wednesday dinners will pick back up on September 18th. Um, those are a great time. It's really nice if you're able to make that. They'll follow on the third Wednesday of the month. We'll eat from 5 to 6. The cost is $8 per family, $4 per single. Sign-up sheets are also available on the table outside of the Heritage Room here on the side if you want to sign up for those. So let's go ahead and have ushers take our offering and... We don't have any music. I could hum during, I guess. That might, that might be good, but we'll go ahead and take our morning offering tonight or our evening offering and then we'll, we'll pray. Father, we praise you for your provision. We praise you, God, for all that you give to us. We ask that you would take this offering, uh, use it to contribute to the spread of your name and your cause in this place and beyond. We thank you for it, and we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right, if you have your Bible and you'd like to turn tonight to the 18th chapter of Matthew... Matthew chapter 18. What I'd like to do is um, take where we were last week. You remember the story of, of the woman that comes in and pour the perfume all over the feet of Jesus. And I want to take where we were last week uh, just a little bit further tonight. What if I told you that in this day and age where we live between the empty tomb and the return of Jesus Christ, the way that God addresses our ongoing struggle with sin is to forgive it 77 times. Which of course doesn't mean you only get 77 literal chances to sin and then it's over. That wouldn't be anything to celebrate. Most of us are probably going to be 10 to 15 sins in the hole by lunch on a normal day. Uh, In Scripture, seven tends to symbolize perfection and completeness. And so 77 times, or 70 times seven, as it will read in some, is just a unique way of saying, a clever way of saying that forgiveness has no limits. Not now, not today. Could you imagine if that were true? Well, beloved, Jesus Christ says it is true. Judgment is not meant to triumph over mercy. In God's economy, mercy triumphs over judgment. And and again, last week Jesus proclaimed that the one who is forgiven much loves much. And, And we tried to say that the depth of our love for Jesus depends in large part, just just true, depends in large part on our understanding of how much we've really been forgiven for. This week he proclaims, That our willingness to forgive others when they sin against us also depends on our understanding of how much we've really been forgiven for. This is a, this is something that, that is repeated in scripture. God has gone to war with sin. He's gone to war with our sin. 
but not by killing us for being sinners, but by sending his son to die for sinners. Mercy triumphs over judgment for the merciful. That's what comes to light here. On the heels of his teaching in Matthew 18 on how and why a person might be removed from the assembly of believers, the church, Jesus tells a parable to highlight the fact that we neither understand the enormity of God's forgiveness or the danger of unforgiveness. And it is God's indescribable mercy that provides the path to finally understanding both. Let me pray for us one more time. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord God, with all my might that you would just cut through everything that would keep us from being able to pay attention tonight. Lord, every word you uttered proves true. We need every letter of it. We need every ounce of it. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us listen tonight. Help me preach in such a way that it is easy to listen, easy to understand. Please, Father, keep me from getting in the way of this text. And I ask and pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me read verses. Let me start with 21 to 27 of Matthew 18. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Peter's being literal. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, the word therefore in verse 23 tells us, as we're reading, that because we are to forgive one another 77 times, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Forgiveness of sins is the foundation in the kingdom of God. All right? That's what we see here. Rabbis in the time of Jesus, many rabbis were teaching that you had to forgive someone three times if they sinned against you. You were obligated to forgive three times. After that, it wasn't really your responsibility anymore. Three times. That's the kind of lunacy you get into when you speculate beyond God's word, when you just try to try to add things to guide people and help people. Three times. When, when we add, we'll always end up at less mercy, not more. We don't... I, I, th- I think the concern when we preach grace is that we'll, we'll somehow default into license. We don't default to license. We default to self-righteousness because we're obsessed with justifying ourselves by our works. Okay, so what was the general consensus from the rabbis? Three times. Peter has been a disciple of Jesus, however, for a while now, and it was becoming increasingly obvious how much more gracious Jesus was than the religious leaders that Peter had been used to. So in verse 21, Peter is asking, uh, as, because Jesus, again, has just taught the, the, the process for removing a person from the church. It, it isn't, it, you only remove a person if they, after being confronted in the, the process that God gave, they refuse to repent of sin. 
And so naturally, in, in the context of that, Peter is asking, because Jesus seems to be a lot more merciful than what he's used to, surely he wants you to forgive people more than three times, is a rather large increase when you think about it in the number of times you should forgive someone possible, right? If it was three times, Peter says, should we double the standard, Jesus, and then add one more? So let's let's double it, but then let's add one more because you seem to be really merciful, right? So should we, let's say that three was the, the base everyone worked with. Should we go from three to seven? Now that, that's a huge jump for giving seven times when the previous regime said three was pretty gracious, right? Jesus would probably approve of that. Peter is really starting to grasp the, the kingdom of God. That's not even close to how gracious Jesus is about forgiveness. This, this is amazing. Revealing that is the reason for the parable. The foundation of this story is that a king wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So what follows depends on what kind of king this is. As to how this story is going to go, right? King wishes to settle accounts with his servants. The first man brought to him in the story owes a debt. No servant is going to be able to repay. This 10,000 talents. Okay. This is, we're going to walk through this. All right. This is an enormous amount of money if you translate it to U.S. dollars so that we can understand it. Um, the denarius was one day's wage for a typical day laborer who at that time would have worked six days a week with a Sabbath day of rest. If on top of that you allowed for two weeks off for various Jewish holidays, okay, the typical laborer worked 50 weeks of the year, earned an annual wage of 300 denarii, right? 50 weeks times six days. 300 denarii a year would have been a standard salary. Now keep this in mind because it'll be important later. 100 denarii then was one-third of a year's salary. 100 denarii was about four months' wages. Now, after 20 years, 20 years as a day laborer, a servant, you would have earned about 6,000 denarii. Okay? That's enough to pay back, you ready? One talent. Right? 20 years, 6,000 denarii, you pay back one talent. This man owes 10,000 of those. So only 9,999 more talents to go after 20 years. That means repaying 10,000 talents is going to take about 200,000 years. Okay? We don't live that long. Right? Repaying 10,000 talents would take about 200,000 years. I did some research on this in Chimes newspaper from Biola University about this story. If, if 100 denarii equaled four months salary, I think the article was written in 2010, so the numbers would be even greater now, but that's, the point is, is the same. If 100 denarii equaled four months salary for a laborer, one third of a year's salary in dollars is $11,733.33. Okay? That equals 35200 a year. At that rate, how much would you earn in 200,000 years to equal 10,000 talents? $7.04 billion. That's what he owes. Okay? Just, that's what he owed nine years ago in U.S. dollars. 7.04 billion U.S. dollars is 10,000 
talents. To put that in perspective, if you had that much available to pay a debt, you would be ranked 102nd in the world in Forbes' list of billionaires. Which, by the way, you would have about an eighth of Bill Gates' wealth. Okay? If you're 102. The point is this. The point is this. How in the world can this servant ever pay this back? For one thing, he won't live long enough. How in the world was he even allowed to acquire in this culture that much debt? 7.04 billion in US dollars. 10,000 talents. Jesus obviously wants the debt to look absurd. Because beloved, that's what forgiveness is. When you try to figure out how much debt our sin actually incurs with God. It's absurd. How can God forgive so much? How can God forgive so much? In verse 25, the king knows the man can't possibly pay this absurd debt. So he orders the man's family and property to be sold. That's not unjust. That's justice. Could you imagine you owe a debt and they take your family? Look at, look, look at verse 26 again. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Okay, but now that we understand the vastness of his debt, how pathetic is that? Right? How pathetic is that? Have patience with me because if you just give me 200,000 more years to work, I'll be able to pay it back. Right? If, if you just give me 200,000 more years, every cent I make will go only to paying you back. My family can starve. I'll pay you back. Just give me 200,000 more years. Right? Do you... Do you hear that? No amount of patience on the king's part then is going to get the debt paid, right? The king could be, he would say, oh, okay, well, he's not going to get his money back. Not going to get close to getting his money back. They'll both die before he gets his money back. Beloved, it's a good thing our God is described throughout scripture as being slow to anger. Because in a world of, of, this many billion people now, how much do you figure? How much debt do you figure is incurred between sunrise and sunset every day that makes God angry? God is angry at sin. He's not passive. But, you know, even snails get where they want to go eventually, right? They'll make it. So if we're given enough time, we can get it together. We can come up with enough. We can work our way out of our own predicaments. Part of the point of this parable is that's not how it works. The debt is too great. That's not how it works. God is not some tribal created wooden deity. You can appease a couple times a year with some good behavior and some pig's blood and things like this. Right, The debt cannot be paid back, which means, and this informs our understanding of verse 26, if the debt cannot be paid back, we need mercy. We need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. If God's patience isn't going to give me enough time to settle the account, I'm going to need 
mercy. Right? So, when you read verse 26, why isn't the man begging for mercy? Instead of saying, give me time, I'll pay it back. What is he thinking? Right? Think about this. What is he thinking? You might as well try to beg at this point. There are no other options unless you're so foolish that you just flat out don't know how numbers work. But we don't have any reason to think the man was stupid. Or you're so arrogant you think you can pay it back. And in the midst of his foolishness and his arrogance and the insurmountable amount of his debt, we read this in verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So the king didn't need the money. Right? It, it, it wasn't that. The king didn't decide to settle accounts because he was running low on funds. It was simple justice. It was time to balance the books. That, that's what you do. You balance books. Books will always need balanced. You know, when, when there was a, a, a rapper several years ago, he was killed. It was, it was Tupac, but he had tattooed on his stomach, only God can judge me. That's terrifying. That's terrifying. It's nothing to brag about. It's terrifying. It's, it's a terrible, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Especially if he's calling notes due. It's terrifying. But he didn't need the money. It, 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 but the books will always need balanced. And, and, and beloved, God can forgive so completely, regardless of how much debt we've incurred. Because he doesn't need anything from us. Right? He, he doesn't need anything from us. So his forgiveness is free. In the midst of our promises to make everything right. How often do we do this? Right? If, if God, I promise you, if, if you just make this thing go this way, I will serve you faithfully. I won't do this sin again. I won't, I'm not making fun of you if you do that. I've, I've done that. Right? We try. We think, we think, look, if you just, just let me prove myself, right? Let me make this right. It doesn't work that way. We owe too much. It doesn't work that way. And in the midst of our promises to make everything right, to come up with enough money, God is moved with pity. Sinners making promises to God they honestly think they can keep. It doesn't get more pathetic than that. It's God's pity, not our ability, not our promises. God doesn't rate our credit to decide if he will give us a loan. If he did it that way, nobody would get forgiven ever for anything. It's not what he does. It's not our ability. It's not our credit worthiness. It's not our promises. It's not our will that produces God's mercy. He is not responding when he saves us to our action he is responding to the fact that we have nothing and he wants to save us. Well, how's he going to do that when we owe so much money? Pity. Pity. God's forgiveness is pity. It's not payment. So right in the middle of our begging, we hear that we've been forgiven. Beloved, this is the truth. But we're terrible at remembering it. Terrible. Let's continue to read. Let me read 28 to 35. 
But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Come on. Really? So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, no more pity. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, now beloved, the knife is about to go in. All right? So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Daniel Emery Price says we have mercy amnesia here. Commenting on this parable. We're all on the side of the other servants here. I mean right away. Right? I mean of course we are. A guy just got forgiven over 7 billion dollars in debt. Again 10,000 talents. And remember, this man only owes him 100 denarii. He's owed $11,733.33. Think about this for a minute. How has a $6,999,988,266.67 difference in forgiven debt failed to make a difference in this servant's heart? How, how is this the case? This is our Lord revealing things that have been hidden since before the creation of the world. This is Jesus' commentary on humanity. How in the world has the forgiveness of that much debt failed to make a dent in the heart of this man? What is the point Jesus is making about us here? And do we believe him? We don't get Forgiveness. We don't get mercy. We don't get the gospel. I don't get the gospel. We don't get it. We have no clue what has actually happened in salvation. None. He grabbed hold of the man and began to choke him. <laughs> See, give me my money. Where's the disconnect? Beloved, we, we saw we, this should not surprise us if we were listening. Go back to verse 26. The servant is oblivious to debt. Remember that. He's oblivious to debt. Remember what Jesus said to Simon last week, if you were here, or if you know Luke 7. If you have no sense of the amount you owe, your heart won't be moved when the debt is forgiven. Right? For those who don't get it, Debt is debt. Money's money. Good works are good works. It will equal out. I can make it right. It's not a big deal. Just give me time. You imagine treating God like that. That's what you're seeing in verse 26. The man is like, I, I can, I can do that. I can pay that back. Verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, 
Have patience with me and I will pay you. Now surely, surely the guy will get it now. Surely he'll, he'll come to his senses when, when the, the guy that owes him money does the exact same thing he had just done, right? To, to, when he needed help. Surely now I'll say, oh my goodness, wait a minute, I'm sorry I, I'm, I'm demanding this money from you. What was I thinking? Let, let me help you up. Please get up. Please forgive me. I lost my head. I don't know what I was thinking, right? Surely when the guy does the same thing he did, it will like trigger something and he'll remember and be like, this is insane that I'm acting like this. This is insane that I'm behaving this way. Look at verse 30. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Come, come on. Jesus is talking about us here. Right? Why do we get so offended if we talk at length about our depravity? Right? We're basically good deep down. We're not as crooked as you always seem to say we are, Tony. I mean, we're, we're forgiven people here. In light of this text, do we honestly believe that being forgiven automatically equals grasping how amazing of a thing it is? It isn't. It isn't. And I, I, I hate to be the constant bearer of bad news about us, but this is Jesus talking. And if we have the ears to hear, we know this is meant for all of us. We know the word of God is living. It stands. It's relevant. We know it. We, we know it. We not only withhold forgiveness from others, we withhold it without even caring that our list of sins is just as long, if not longer. We go further than that, however. We don't just refuse to forgive actual wrongs against us. We won't forgive perceived wrongs against us. Where no debt was actually incurred, we just missed something. Maybe someone just didn't do what we wanted them to do. And now in our minds, they owe us. And until they show us what we want to see, they are cut off. Right? They better figure out, by the way I'm treating them, they better figure out exactly what they did and apologize for it and make it right or we're not friends anymore. We're not family anymore. We're not close anymore. We might as well just throw them in prison till they pay the debt like the servant did to his fellow servant. That's what we're doing when we do that. We're holding them hostage until they pay what we've arbitrarily decided they owe. You see how God-like we still want to be? Like we think that this offense requires this much penance, right? What do we know about, uh, I mean, what we're seeing here is that sin incurs debt and a lot more than we would have originally thought, I would imagine, right? We hold people hostage until we decide they've paid up. Where is Jesus in that? Where is the gospel in that? We're so blinded by our own self-righteousness and our own demands and our own desire that we are this quick to forget the complete absolution we've so freely received from God in Christ. And here's the thing. Let's be honest for a minute. When you consider... Look, I know... There is real hurt done to us. No question. And some of it is horrible and deep and difficult and awful. We've all experienced it. We've all been horribly wronged throughout our lives. Jesus 
How can you say this? You expect me to forgive that? Just let it go? Do you ever just let the text work? Question it. Say, what, what am I supposed to see here? Just, you just let it go? We've all experienced that. So Jesus, I'm not, and I know Jesus isn't trying to belittle our experiences or like he's just aloof to the hurt that's been done to us. It's not easy to forgive a real debt. It isn't. All right. Okay. So if that's true about us, okay, in, in the, in the little lives, that we live in the little span of time that we live. Absolutely. We are absolutely genuinely hurt by other people in this span of life. Who knows more, however, about not getting paid back what is owed to us and bearing the weight of someone else's sin more than God? Part of Jesus' point here, again, is that our sin incurs some kind of debt before God. And if parables in some way are pictures, so arguing from the lesser to the greater to make a point, then we all owe the actual king a lot more than $7 billion. How awful do do we have to be to so quickly and obviously forget what you've just been forgiven for? Or maybe the guy thought that from king to servant is different than from servant to servant, right? It's different. A king can do that because he has so much money already. We can't afford to let debts go unpaid the way a king can. Or maybe he thought a massive debt like mine can't be repaid, but smaller debts can be repaid. So this isn't unreasonable what I'm doing here. If I owed a smaller debt, I would pay it. And he begins to, you know, justify himself. Whatever he was thinking, it wasn't that he had just been in a much worse predicament and was shown pity and given mercy. In verse 31, though, the other servants see the injustice as clear as day. That's the thing. We can't escape our sin. We can't escape our unrighteousness. Not in a world of amnesiac sinners. Other people will rat you out. (laughs) They go right to the king. Our friend is in prison right now. We just, we just want to tell you what happened. So look at verse 32 again. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? What did this king believe? That mercy ought to produce mercy. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Verse 34. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now, for the one who had shown no mercy, there will be no mercy. He lost his family, lost his property. He's going to die in prison, not because the king is rigid or unmerciful or unfair, but because he spurned the king's mercy. So here is Jesus' answer to Peter. Okay. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother. Oh, if there had only been a period right there. 
we might have a chance from your heart. In other words, sincerely. You see what the word of God does? You see what it does? Read verse 35. Genuinely read it and ask yourself, if we're being honest, who's in? Listen, I'm, I'm, I don't know. Obviously, I don't know, but, but I would imagine there's what, 40 of us in here? I bet all of us right now, there's somebody we haven't forgiven. At least not from the heart. That, that's, that's not a, a, a judgment, like a, a self-righteous judgment. I'm just saying probably this is, this might be the hardest thing to obey. Right? Again, not, not just because we're, we have amnesia when it comes to our forgiveness, but because sometimes hurts can be so bad and heavy. How in the world do you forgive it? Right? How in the world do you forgive some of the things that have happened to us? Right? Well, absolutely, but the word of God stands. If we don't forgive, God will do this to us. What are we going to do? You feel that, right? The actual king believes that the mercy of God is meant to produce more mercy. God, everybody's creditor here, wants mercy to quote, Trample over sin in a stampede of undeserved absolution. That's what is being proclaimed here. This is not some neutered moralistic comment from a distant and aloof king who has no involvement in the affairs of his subjects except to show up every couple years and remind them that payday is coming. This is a king who has sent his own son to incur everyone's debt. So there, there's no there's no case to argue with him. How can you require this? Easy. I've done it. And he's right there in their midst. So Peter, be careful trying to establish the bare minimum. We don't have the wherewithal or the credentials to be God's accountants. When the first servant asked for patience, he received mercy. When he was asked for patience, he gave a debtor's prison sentence. And here's the problem. The king's pity does not mean the king has forgotten how to settle accounts. When God's patience runs out, it runs into righteous anger. And unforgiveness seems to be the quickest route between the two. That seems to be part of what the parable is trying to say. Why? Because God believes that trespasses should be overrun by grace. That mercy should triumph over judgment. That's what he has done. A woman once said to Charles Spurgeon, I cannot understand why God should say that he hated Esau. Right? Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. It's God talking. It means exactly what it says. That, Spurgeon replied, is not my difficulty, madam. My trouble is to understand how God could love Jacob. God's hatred for sinners, because it's in the Bible, his hatred for Esau, shouldn't surprise anybody. Right? Hell shouldn't surprise anybody. We all love justice. We all love people getting what they deserve. We, We relish it. We love it. Well, that's what hell is. 
Hell's not this unfair place. Hell is like, yeah, there are debts you didn't pay. That's a no-brainer. You won't find conferences trying to explain away the doctrine of heaven where a bunch of people get what they don't deserve all on the back of an innocent person. Nobody's complaining about that one because we're all the guy in verse, we're all the other servant. We think we can pay debt back. So we have no concept of what grace really is. We, we just are like, no, it's a, it's a transaction. I've incurred this much debt. Give me time, I'll pay it back. The point of the parable is you have no idea how much debt you have. You can't pay it back. So what in the world would you be trying to measure how many times you have to forgive somebody for something? That's what Jesus is saying. What, what are you, what are we doing when we start? Do you know why we do that? Because we ate the fruit and gained the knowledge of good and evil, which we cannot handle and don't know what to do with. So we're out here trying to make rules, make guidelines and stipulations when we've just been dunked in a, a waterfall of blood and grace. And we're still trying to cut it up and divide it for everybody. Even ourselves. We do that to ourselves. How can God love us? How, how can God love us? Imagine loving the way that God loves, what God loves. Imagine trying to do that. I, I know I've said this before. There is no way I'm giving up my son's life for other people. No way. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry at all. I don't know why I said that. I'm, there's no way I'm giving up my son. It'd be one thing to give him up for somebody that I love, but for somebody that openly spit in my face and mocked me and went against me and rebelled against me and hated me and cheered when I was getting killed. No, they're not getting my son's life. My goodness. Why does God love us? Do we honestly believe that he owes us mercy? How can God love us in the first place? Why does God love us in the first place? And yet somehow we who owed the most are so often the last to be merciful. It is gut-wrenching to watch this happen in a church. It's to watch redeemed sinners plot against each other and hurt each other and argue with each other and talk about each other. It's disgusting and it makes no sense. When we want to push back against the lavishness of God's grace, which amazes me. Don't preach grace too much. Why? You, you don't need it? You'd like it to be another way? How good are you? We, we push back against the lavishness of God's grace and we throw out like James 2.13 as though we actually want it to be that we are justified by works and not faith alone. So we hear grace. We say, no, faith without works is dead. That's right. Absolutely. But right before that, James had written, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So James in James 2 is not contradicting Paul that you're not justified by Grace through faith alone. James is being specific. It is faith that lacks mercy for other people that is dead faith. Dead faith is dead. It has no hope of God in it. It has no clue of how much need its carrier has to be forgiven himself or herself. 
Dead faith doesn't believe it's been forgiven. It believes when it hears that there's a debt, that it now has to earn God's mercy and pay him back. That's unbelief. That's dead faith to try to be genuinely justified in a saving way by your works. You, why? Well, because, because God is just too good. He's, he's too just. And one day he'll demand payment. I just know he'll demand payment. So I'm going to have to work. I have to collect from the people that owe me. I can't forgive. I need money. I gotta, I gotta pay God back. So I can't forgive. But in the kingdom of God, God makes war on debt and judgment and defeats them with mercy and grace. Not with money, not with works. Unless we're talking about the work of Christ, who had incurred no debt, but mine. What the unforgiving servant shows us is not only that we have no understanding of the mercy we've been shown, and that's, I'm not, that in and of itself, it's, it's not, I'm not trying to belittle you. Right? We do not understand the depth of the mercy we've been shown. We, we, we just don't. I don't know that we can. Right? I don't know that we can. Maybe that's one of the reasons why heaven is eternal. You know, you're just not going to praise long enough to, you know, we've equaled it. We've praised you as much as you deserve. <laughs> the debt we've incurred is more than we can imagine. But not only do we not have a real understanding of the mercy we've been shown, which should give us pause then and humble us, but we also forget the mercy we've been shown so quickly. Right? So it, again, everything in us gets, gets twisted. It's not just that we have no, we don't genuinely comprehend the amount of debt that we have. It's that because of that, we forget very quickly how much mercy we've been shown. Right? See, Pete, Jesus is going after Peter's heart here. Peter is trying to establish, and I'm not judging him, as they would say in the south of Peter, bless his heart. He tried. Right? He, he, but he, he's thinking, it really seems like you are like, making mercy a big deal. I'm just curious, how many times, if you were going to, how many times do I have to forgive uh, if somebody sins against me? Seven, right? I'll make it sound more than three so that I sound like I'm, you know, Jesus is talking to Peter here. Forgiven sinners are forgetful. Forgiven sinners are forgetful. Jesus is is. Again, the, the, the sword is laying open the thoughts and intentions of the heart here. This is the word speaking, right? Forgiven sinners are forgetful. No one's ever going to do enough good for a long enough time to pay God back. You know what's going to happen? We'll go deeper into debt before the sun goes down tonight. That's what's actually happening, right? We have a $50 trillion debt. And every day we're trying to throw dimes back in while incurring more debt with our sin. Right? It's it just, it, it's, it's a vicious circle unless there's pity and mercy. Every breath God lets us take just puts us deeper in debt. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I, look, I, I can mature, I can grow, I can mature. Absolutely. I mean, on, on some level, yes. But like, I'm never going to be perfect here. Never going to be sinless. If I say I have no sin, I'm a liar. The truth is not in me. What does that mean? If, if sin is debt, I'm incurring more debt all the time. When you think about that, just try to grasp for a minute the extent of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross 
for sinners. He covered all of that. It's just, it's too much to take in. Every breath God lets us take just puts us deeper in debt. How much confidence then does the father have in his son to be a sufficient savior? It's, it's just mind blowing. More time means more sin. We're never gaining anything against our debt. We're adding to it. And we need to know this about ourselves because we've been commanded to show mercy. Right? Jesus will have us live in the peace he died and rose again to give us. He protects us. He's trying to protect us from a world of ruthless, unending, mathematical only, no mercy judgment. And and there are people he's left in the world, the church, who are all the first guy knowing what they've been forgiven for. And what are we known for? What are we known for? Are we known as the people of mercy and grace and forgiveness? No, we don't want to be soft on sin. Why not? You, we don't want to be soft on sin. We must be pretty okay. Let God deal with what's soft and hard when it comes to dealing with sin. You and I are not here to weigh out what other people owe. We're not. We shouldn't be defined by this. We should be defined. You're the people. You got forgiven all that debt. How? Why? My master had pity on me. Instead, we walk around like, well, you know, I, he got me in the door, but I do this and I do that and I don't go here and I don't go there and I don't say this and I don't smoke that and I don't. Yeah, I, yeah, okay, good. But I mean, what does that have to do with Jesus? Well, he's left the people in the world who should know that mercy triumphs over judgment. Right? We can't go out there choking other sinners to death because we don't even know how much we've been forgiven for. We know that mercy triumphs over judgment. We've experienced it. We've received it. We know that grace and forgiveness are more powerful than sin and retribution. When it comes to our relationships with, with, with one another. If, if we can't extend this, we simply contribute to building a church that no human being is ever going to be able to survive in. Right? Just It's part of the reason why the world is so rough. There, there, no sinner can escape justice. Slip up and your fellow servants will rat you out to somebody that has the power to punish you. Right? We, we just... we. Jesus just doesn't nuance. He just lays this eternal truth on us and just lets it explode. And then we're just left in the, what did I just read, right? Jesus is telling a story about what happens when forgetful sinners demand justice, right? The story is about what the kingdom of God looks like and its essence is faith and grace and mercy and forgiveness. Where does unforgiveness end? It ends in a cell, in a prison, owing a debt. It is literally impossible for you and I to pay. So, let me address something very quickly, because hopefully it will help, and then I'll, I'll, I'll move on through here. Just when, when you think through, and again, because I, I genuinely know we've all been hurt very deeply. And there are some things that, let's be honest, I don't know that we will ever genuinely achieve True forgiveness is some of the things that have been done to us. Okay? And I, I don't say that lightly. It's just some things. I, 
I, I don't know, right? I, I just don't know. But when you feel, trying to make sense of this, when you feel that you couldn't forgive because there would be an, un, an injustice, I want you to think about something for a minute, and it isn't to, it isn't like a threat. When you, you hear me say that phrase a lot, there will be no red in the ledger. There will be no red in the ledger, which means when you think about how do I forgive a brother or sister in Christ that has genuinely hurt me, and those hurts go deep, I want you to think about something. The punishment for what they did to you has already been meted out on Christ. Right? So you don't have to worry that, what does that just get, that sin just gets, for, nobody cares? Oh, yes. God cared about it. God punished his son for it. It's not just hanging out there in the wind and it's never going to get dealt with and you're... So right, if, if, if we're talking about believer to believer, the sin has already been addressed. It's already been punished, right? You say, well, what about if we're talking about an unbeliever though? Well, a per- person that dies not knowing Christ. What about that? What about the punishment for that? Oh, they'll bear it for all eternity. Nothing's getting left undealt with. So... Please, at least when you try to think through, if you even want to forgiving to that level of detail, you just have to know nothing's getting left undealt with. Not in God's world. Okay, either Jesus has paid my debt or I will pay it myself, but the debt will get paid. In hell or on the cross. Okay, so I hope, I hope that helps as you think through that to some degree, please don't think God is this aloof, unjust. Well, I won't worry about that. No, nothing escapes the gaze of God Almighty. But let, let's let let the text just hit us all tonight. When you read that last verse, who among us can forgive the wrongs done to us and do so in the complete totality and sincerity our Lord demands? Right. That's what he means when he says we must forgive our brothers from the heart. Do you see our predicament? That, that's what I'm hoping the text is doing. Do you see our predicament before God? Who can actually do what Jesus Christ requires us to do? You see, the message of grace doesn't lessen or ignore the demands of Scripture. It faces them head on. And the reality is we cannot meet the standard we've been commanded to meet. So what are we going to do tonight? If I don't forgive as fully and freely and sincerely as Jesus has, he won't forgive me. When you hear that, when you hear verse 35, beloved, this is where the road splits. Into works one way and grace the other. This, verse 35, is where we decide to either throw ourselves on Christ and beg for pity or to say instead, God, I hear what you said. If you will just be patient with me, I promise I'll get this taken care of. If you just, okay, I'm supposed to forgive. Let me do it. Let me go do it. And I promise I'll pay you back. That's not taking the Bible seriously enough. 
And so, and so, so what, what will happen? Well, okay, I guess I, I can't do that. I can't actually always obey this command. It's really hard. Remember the, the guy in the, the lawyer? Who, who is my neighbor really? Right? You just, I can't do that, but I can make sure that I, um, I mean, I thank the Lord for my food. I don't cuss. I don't chew. I don't date girls who do. Uh, I can give, uh, 10% off the net, not off the gross or off the, you know, not however we work that out. I can try really hard to forgive. I can, um, you can what? We can what? When, when you owe $7 billion and you're a day laborer, dimes are an insult. They're an insult. Trying to pay God back for his forgiveness with good works is an insult to his intelligence. I mean, it's an, it's an insult. If you give me 50 years and, and, uh, you know, then every time I make an extra dollar, man, it's going to you. Yeah. Can you, can you just don't? Can you just not please pretend that the debt is that small and pathetic? It is a gross misunderstanding of our own wickedness and his holiness. Beloved, we can't meet the demand, but the demand stands. What are we going to do? Let's throw ourselves on his mercy. This, you see, verse 35, it's not where you promise. It's where you beg. It's where you beg. God, please, I can't do that. I'm telling you, I can't do that. And we say, so are you saying that God just doesn't require? No, he requires it. But he got it from Christ. Do you see how imputed righteousness is so important? It's not that it doesn't get obeyed. It's that Christ obeyed it. And I'm saved because I have faith in him that he's enough. And I'll never be able to pay him back. That's faith. That's what it looks like. Please save me. Please forgive me. Please have mercy on me. I owe too much. I can't do this. There ought to be more pleases, more pleases, please. And at the end of the, he not only washes our sins away, he credits our accounts with his righteousness because we failed to be holy. This is what the end of the day, is the Bible teaching that it all turns back into math? If you haven't forgiven enough to pay back your debt, if you haven't done enough, are you lost? Only if you haven't fled to Christ for salvation. Again, same line of thinking in the, near the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus ups the law, which he's just talking about the essence of the law. You thought it meant don't actually murder. I'm telling you, but I say unto you, if you hate somebody, you've murdered them already. So he gets to the end of that and he says, therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Okay, who's perfect? You see what Jesus is doing? It's not like, oh, okay, so I have to strive to be perfect. No, that's the guy saying, give me enough time, I'll pay you back. If, if you have to be perfect to be saved, who's getting in? Can, can we be honest? Right. So the, the point is not try your best to be perfect. The point is I am here to save you because you will never be good enough. I'm here to pay your debt because you're never going to have enough. And you incur more every day. This is our savior. It's that or it's hell for all of us.
Come to him. Come to him. Come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus. Sit at his feet and listen. What holds up this story is the pity and mercy of a God who forgives insurmountable debts. Just insurmountable debts. Right? We are a people that can't forgive hardly any debts. When you realize you can't forgive like this, ask for mercy. Don't try to make up for it. Right? This is the main point. God forgives the debts of those who throw everything else away to depend only on his pity and his mercy. God, God goes to war with our debt with his mercy. So just surrender. Right? He's, he's, God is going to win. Just surrender. Alright? It, it's, it's a beautiful, a beautiful letdown, a beautiful, just throw all your weapons away, throw all your money away, just let him wash over you in a tide of mercy. And let the Holy Spirit worry about now what gets done. It'll get done. Right? It, grace is not the enemy of God or his will getting done. It's the enemy of people thinking they have to do it to be justified. I go to him for forgiveness for the sin of being unforgiving. And God washes my guilt away. He forgives the debt. And grants me the wealth of his son's perfect obedience as my own to stand before him accepted. Do I want to forgive? Absolutely. The spirit within me won't let me rest in, ah, I don't have to. Right? I, I, I can't, I, I can't live like that. Right? So that's not what we're talking about. That's not what mercy, mercy doesn't make you apathetic. It, it just makes you realistic and thankful. I don't, I, I hate the fact that I incur more debt when he's like this. I'm not relishing it. I'm not celebrating it. I hate it. But what am I going to do? What are we going to do? So I, I go to him for mercy or I refuse to believe in his son. I refuse to let him forgive the debt. And I try to stand before him only with my ability to pay him back but I'll never forgive enough. I, and, and I don't even know when I'm supposed to stop. don't even know when it's paid for. I'll never be good enough to earn it, like, like to begin to equal the payment of the debt back. I'll, I'll be thrown in a debtor's prison then, called to hell for all eternity because the debt is too great. Or I will just beg for the mercy of my king. Those are my options. Now, before I close, here's what might happen in our hearts tonight. We might walk away saying, you know what? That's right. People need to forgive me more. That's often what we do. We hear a sermon like, love your neighbor, and we don't think I need to, we think, that's right. Other people should love me more. Other people should forgive me more. That's not the point of this story. Our inner lawyers don't care about us. They're just trying to get paid. All right? Our inner lawyers do not have our best interest at heart. If if they did, they would do the decent thing and quit. 
We do not understand the depth of the mercy we've been shown. And we forget far too quickly that we've been shown this mercy. So the text drives us into Christ tonight where our only hope of salvation will ever be found. All right, when, when verse 35 puts you in debt because you can't do it, don't think for one second you're going to be able to pay it back. That is not the point here. The point is that in this kingdom, the king forgives sins when people beg for mercy. When they try to pay him back, when they forget what they've been forgiven for, they get thrown in prison. There is pity for sinners tonight. There's pity for you. There's pity for me. Let's bank on that and everybody sleep well tonight. That, by the way, will lead to a lot more forgiveness of one another than being beaten up for an hour over the fact that we can't do it. All right? Bank on Christ. Bank on pity. Bank on pity. All right? We don't have a invitational hymn tonight, so what I'm going to do is just close us here and now in prayer, and I'll be here down front if anybody needs to talk or pray. Okay? All right, let's, let's pray. Father, I praise you tonight for your pity. I thank you so much for it. It's such an interesting um, emotion or feeling for you to describe yourself as having pity. Lord, it's, it's, it, that's the basis of it all. It's just, it's not you meeting able-bodied people where they are to help them get the rest of the way. That's not what salvation is. It's you raising the dead. It's you giving mercy to dogs that don't deserve to eat off of the table. Lord, these things are not meant to be self-deprecating. This is the truth meant to be seen against the backdrop of your amazing love and mercy. It's, it's not going to look like what it is if we don't realize what we've been forgiven for. So, Father, I pray that you would help us tonight. Help us to see your Son. Help us to rest in what he has done, to trust that the Spirit will bear his fruit in us as we believe on you. I pray that you would watch over the souls and the minds and the hearts of the people in our church. Lord, for this crowd tonight, I pray in particular just because they're here. Lord, don't let the enemy come and snatch this away. Please, Father, protect their minds when they go. Protect them from themselves. Protect them from the evil one. Protect them from voices that will try to make them doubt and disbelieve. Lord, keep us believing until the sun goes down and you bring us into the table for supper. I pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And you're dismissed.